Father, that's our prayer this morning, that you will take us deeper, that we will trust in you, that we know that in the presence of the Savior, we can go places we've never thought we could go, and we can do things that we never thought we could do because our trust is completely and totally in you. And we thank you, Father, for this time in your presence this morning. Amen. You may be seated. And let's give the praise team a hand for the good worship that we had this morning. I've lived in Phoenix my entire adult life. And it's almost impossible to have attended churches throughout Phoenix and not have heard of Living Streams Church. It's one of those churches that has had a huge impact here in the valley in that they've brought churches together as the body of Christ. They've brought pastors together to share, to be encouraged, and to lead their congregations as one body in Christ in Phoenix. We are really honored this morning to have Pastor Mark Buckley with us this morning. He started Living Streams many years ago, and I've heard him preach quite a few times over the years, and I know that this morning I'm going to receive a word of God that I'm going to chew on for some time to come. Let's give Pastor Buckley a warm welcome this morning. Thank you. Bless you. Well, good morning, Fountain. It's a blessing for me to be here. Uh, I just feel like your church is full of life. You know what I mean? There are breakthroughs going on. There's grace being manifest in many people's lives. The worship is alive. And I see people that are here every June or July when I show up, which is also a miracle because everybody I know tries to get out of town this time of year, and you guys are being faithful to this church, and God's going to continue to bless you. You're going to see great fruitfulness at the Fountain of Life in the months and years to come. I want to thank Pastor Joe for giving me this opportunity to be with you again. I'm going to be talking with you today about overcoming the human dilemma. There's a human dilemma. We are in these bodies in a fallen world, and sometimes we don't feel like we fit in. Sometimes we don't feel like we belong. Sometimes we're frustrated with ourselves because we're trying to establish better patterns, be more effective people, be more disciplined, and we stumble and we fall, and we feel guilty, we feel ashamed, and we can give up, we can get discouraged, and we can wrestle with all kinds of things that we wish we were past. I was with a guy just last night, and he said, why am I struggling with things that I was able to overcome years ago, and I'm struggling with them again? And I said, well, I'll be preaching on that tomorrow, and I hope that uh, you would come and join with me. But um, he's not here, unfortunately. I'm going to be doing a three-part message, okay? The first part from Ephesians chapter 2 is overcoming the human dilemma, part one. And then we're going to, after 10 minutes or so, take a break and have some table discussions. And then I'm going to get into Romans 7 and 8 for the bulk of the message. And I hope it's going to be a blessing to you. 
I uh, had a very interesting experience two Saturdays ago. I have, I'm the oldest of eight children, and my three brothers and one nephew and I went to meet with a man named Michael, who is our half-brother. He's 60 years old, and none of us had ever met him before. His daughter had tracked us down through Facebook. He, had, he was three days old when he was put up for adoption. He, he was not told that he was adopted until he was 19 years old. His parents took him to a counselor, and he wondered what was going on, and the counselor said, well, your parents have something to tell you. And they said, well, Michael, you've been adopted. And when he heard that, he was completely stunned. He pretended like it didn't affect him, but it affected him in a tremendous way. His parents weren't able to tell him who was the family that put him up for adoption. Um, he's a half-brother because my dad was fooling around when he should have stayed faithful. And this woman he was with had a child, and they didn't want the whole thing to be public. This was in, back in uh, 1959, and in 19, or I'm sorry, 1962, and when he was born in 1963, they put him up for adoption. So all of his life, from the time he was 19, he knew that he was missing part of his family. Prior to that, he didn't feel like he fit in very well. Now, I don't know if you've ever felt like you don't fit in. That's going to be one of our table discussion points today. But um, I want to tell you something about yourself, okay? If you're part of the body of Christ, if you're in the family of God, you have been adopted. And when you're adopted, it makes you feel a little different. You don't necessarily naturally do all the things that appears come naturally to the rest of the family. It takes a while to adjust to your status as a son of God, as a daughter of God. It takes a while to really know how to relate to your brothers and sisters in Christ in a healthy spiritual family and in a healthy way. So anyway, that's part of what I'm going to be talking with you about today. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this opportunity. I ask, Lord God, that you would enable me to speak clearly your word and that your spirit would grip us all, that we would learn the truths that would set us free and to help free others for a release of your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to say two other things before I start. One is I love the wholehearted way the worship team was singing today. And number two, um, your pastor Joe and I are in a group called Better Together. We believe that when church leaders get together, when the body of Christ is in unity, that we enrich each other's lives, that we can share gifts together. And that takes time away from the local church. And I'm glad Joe's getting some time with his family to get refreshed today. But you have an awesome pastor, and uh, he's got some great revelation, and I know you know that, and that's why you're here. So, um, continuing now, Ephesians 2 verse 1 says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were spiritually dead. You 
were dead because of your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. There is a powerful ruler of the kingdom of the air. In the Greek, it's the psychic realm. It's a realm where Satan rules. One of the dangers for getting yourself inebriated, whether it's using marijuana or alcohol or anything, is that you break down the defenses that God gives you against the evil one. And when those defenses are broken down, the evil one is more powerful than we are. What enables us to resist the evil one is the grace of God that we have in Christ. In Christ, we have power. There, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. But when you walk in the flesh, when you begin to allow the prince of the power of the air access to your mind, access to your heart, you get in deep trouble. It says, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Our flesh craves sin. We want to escape. We, want to, we don't want to feel pain. We, we want to just go with whatever temptation comes to us. So there's three problems that are all part of the human dilemma. Sin produces spiritual death. It's the first one. And we've all sinned. Number two, there's an evil one who rules the kingdom of the air, and he's more powerful than us, and at times our defense is against him. You know, when we're born, we have a certain amount of enamel on our teeth, right? That protects us from cavities. But if you eat enough sugar, eventually you break down that enamel, and you become more vulnerable to cavities for the rest of your life. That's why you should brush three times a day and floss on a regular basis, right? Um, which almost none of us do. And, and at the same time, we crave sugar. And it's a, the third point here is that our flesh craves sin. We crave the very things that are poison to us. That's part of our dilemma. So what's the solution? Verse 4, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. So God sees our dilemma, and he shows in his mercy a solution. The solution is that we would have an impartation of power that would raise us from the spiritual death that we're in and bring us to life, and that power is called grace. So God, who's rich in mercy, imparts grace to us in Christ. It's the power that enables us to live a free life. And it says, God, in verse 6, raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So we, when we're in Christ, are actually seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. We're not subject in terms of being controlled by the evil one. We can be tempted by him, but we're not controlled by him. We're able to overcome him just like Jesus overcame him. And it says in verse 7, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed to us in his kindness in Christ Jesus. So we've been raised up. He's got this incomparable grace, these riches that are in Christ that he freely gives us. 
So um, last winter, I was playing golf down at the Biltmore. I like to play golf in my spare time. Now that my kids are grown, I have a little bit more spare time. And I play a little more frequently at the Biltmore because a couple of my friends are part of a partnership group that own those two courses down there. And during COVID, they made a new rule. Prior to COVID, everybody had to ride in a golf cart because they want people moving along real quick so that they can get as many players through each day so that they can generate more revenue. But when COVID hit, they knew that some people were uncomfortable sitting by somebody else, and that especially if they didn't know them very well. And so they made a provision that you could walk, and they never removed that restriction when the major issue with COVID passed. And I like to walk because I need exercise because I really like to eat, and I want to just stay as healthy as possible. So I'm walking on this course. It's called, they have two courses, the Adobe, which is a more flat course, the Lynx course, which has some big hills that surround the other course. And uh, so I'm walking along the Lynx course. Um, I'm, I'm finishing up the front nine. I'm heading to the back nine where it's hilly. I'm going along, and when I play golf, I wear a great big hat to protect me from the sun. I sometimes wear some old jeans if I'm, or not jeans, but old shorts if I'm playing by myself. My wife says I look like a homeless person, and uh, she thinks that is, uh, you know, disgusting. My daughters think it's funny and all that. But anyway, I don't care because I'm all by myself on this day. I'm going along playing, and all of a sudden I see this guy in a golf cart and a uniform. He's a security guard, and he's looking at me while I'm walking along towards my ball. And then the next thing I know, he drives up right alongside me, and he says, you need to get off this course right away. And I said, why is that? He goes, because you don't belong here. And I said, well, sir, I do. I have privileges, you know. And he looks at me again. He goes, it's obvious you don't belong here. Have you ever felt that from somebody? You do not belong. Now, in the natural, he's exactly right. Because I didn't pay to play. You know what I mean? I don't have that kind of money. I don't deserve to have those privileges. But guess what? The owner of the course said to me, you can be my guest whenever you want. He, the owner gave me the privileges. So I said to the security guard, pulled out my wallet, took out a little business card, and I said, take this up to the front. My name's Mark Buckley. Tell them that I'm playing out here. Ask them if I belong or not. And so he's, rah, 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 rah. He takes my card and he drives off and, Fifteen or so minutes later, when I get to the turn, that after the first nine, the, it's called the turn, when you get back to the clubhouse before you start to the second nine, there's the guy, and he's sitting in, the, in his uh, little golf thing, and he sees me, and he immediately drives up, and he goes, starts going, sir, sir, I'm so sorry, I'm so, you know, because he knew now, after talking to the guys in the clubhouse, that I did know the owner. And that I could probably get him fired just by telling my friends how he treated me. But what I said to him was this. I said, you know what? You're doing your job. We 
need to make sure that people don't belong here are not allowed to just come out here anytime they want, you know, so that our privileges are protected. And I appreciate what you're doing. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you so much. So here's what I'm saying to you. You might feel like you don't belong. You might dress like you don't belong. But when the owner, the creator of heaven and earth, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ says, you are going to have privileges because I have chosen you to be part of my family. He gives us the grace and the place at the table to belong. So at your, at your tables right now, I want you to discuss a couple of questions. And they should be on the screen. Are there times when the struggles you wrestle with make you feel like you don't belong in the family of God? Second question, you can deal with either one of these you like. Do you ever feel unqualified to counsel or pray for others or share your faith <clears throat> with the lost because of your own temptations and failures? We'll get back together in about six minutes. All right, all right. Sorry to break up the uh, discussion there. We were having a good discussion at our table and we ran out of time. Let's get to Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 14. This is another perspective on the human dilemma. It's the same basic issues expressed in a different way. It says this. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but the very thing I hate. When I was a kid, I believed in the Lord. I knew that he had died on the cross for me. But when I came to church, a lot of times it just made me feel more guilty because I was continuing to do the very sins that I had confessed the week before or the month before. And I didn't want to feel guilty, so I eventually pulled away from church altogether. What I needed to discover was how to overcome that tendency that I had to continue to get mad when my brothers and sisters gave me a bad time, to, to want to just take something if I saw it and didn't have the money to pay for it. To, to not be honest, I needed to know that there was another way to live, and I needed the power to live that way. In verse 16, it says, Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin who dwells within me. So the law are God's commandments, and God's commandments tell us not to steal, not to lie not to commit adultery, to honor our father and our mother, to keep the Sabbath day, to not take the Lord's name in vain, and to not covet. The Lord tells us what's right and wrong. But the Lord, when he tells us these things, is showing us oftentimes that we're falling short. I was with a friend recently, and uh, he said, Mark, you have a tendency to rush. And what he was saying is, why don't you just relax. 
We're, we're out here on a, and we're up in California in the hills. Why don't you just enjoy being here? Why do you always have to rush to the next thing? And I said to him, quoting this verse, well, it is no longer I. It is sin that dwells within me. I don't want to rush. I want to enjoy whoever I'm with. I want to focus on them. I want to enjoy a beautiful day. I don't always want to be thinking about the next thing. I want to be present where I am. But sin that dwells within me is causing me to have this battle, and sometimes I lose that battle. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For if I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep for... Let me reread that, verse 19. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. He's saying the same thing over again, a little bit more in depth. So on, I was taking a break in California. I was playing golf again. And um, I have a tendency to swing too fast, to be in a rush, and to slice the ball into the bushes instead of on the fairway. I'm the kind of guy that wants to hit the ball perfectly straight because I want the people I play with to say, wow, you are so good. What makes you so good? And I'd say, well, it's all Jesus, you see. Uh, and I would just shine for Jesus and be a great witness and a testimony. But unfortunately, even though I work towards that goal, the evil I do not want to do, which is slice the ball into the bushes, is what I oftentimes do anyway. So I'm playing with this lady, and she's doing the same thing I'm doing. She's slicing the ball off into the bushes and losing her ball, and she keeps swearing. And after a while, I said to her, I said, do you know what it means to be a Roman 7 golfer? And she, she goes, no, but I bet you do. And uh, I said, yes, I do, and I'll explain it to you. And then, and then before I explained it, she said, you know what? I want to quit swearing. And I'm like, well, that makes two of us, you know. I want you to quit swearing too. But um, I explained to her what it means to be a Roman 7 golfer because it's what it means to be a Roman 7 person. A Roman 7 person is continually frustrated because the good they want to do, the good that they know God wants them to do, is not what they're doing. They're doing the very things that they don't want to do anymore because they want to be closer to God. And I explained that to her, and she wasn't that impressed. She just simply wanted to stop swearing. And, and that's the way a lot of people are. They just want to be a little bit of a better person. You know, as long as they're a little bit of a better person and a better person than you, then they feel fine. And they, they judge themselves and qualify themselves as a good person by saying, well, you know, there are murderers and there's rapists. Why is the news filled with stuff like that? It's not just because it's sensationalism. It's because it actually makes people feel like, well, at least I'm better than those people. You know what I mean? I'm not that bad. So God must be pleased with me. And they're, they're playing a gymnastics game in their heart uh, of judging people and assuming that God is pleased with them because they're better than somebody else. But in reality, as we know from Ephesians chapter 2, 
Everybody who's in sin is spiritually dead. It doesn't matter if you've been dead a little while or dead a long time or you're dead because of this sin or dead because of that sin. If you're dead, you're dead. And he isn't into death. He's into life. He's into resurrection life. And that life is a gift to anybody who says, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. Jesus, I want you to forgive my sin. Jesus, I want your grace. Now we hope when he gives us grace that it's going to enable us to hit the ball straight every time. Find the parking place right where we want to go. But it doesn't always work that way, does it? I was driving into San Francisco to go to a a 50-year wedding anniversary a couple weeks ago. And the guy who was driving me, I've known him for 50 years. We both share the same grandkids. My son married his daughter. And uh, so we've been friends a long time. And as we're driving into San Francisco, and he, you know, we don't want to be late. He's driving pretty quick. And every now and then you hear this beep. And uh, I didn't know what it was. It's his car, you know, and we'd, he'd be driving around the city streets, and there'd be beep, beep. And after a while, he says to me, uh, don't, don't mind that. My phone beeps whenever I'm 15 miles over the speed limit. And I'm like, well, what the heck good does it do to set a beeper on your phone that keeps beeping? I know why he does it, because number one, he doesn't want to get a ticket. Number two, he really wants to be the kind of guy that's always on time and always pleasant. You know, his wife's not yelling at him for driving too fast. And, and he's, he doesn't need a beep to remind him that he's going too fast. But That part of his life hasn't been redeemed yet, evidently. Verse 20 says, Now if I do what I do not want, no longer I who do it, but sin who dwells within me. So I find it a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. And anybody who's ever been addicted, I've been addicted in the past. Um, I was trying to quit smoking And every time I went anywhere, it seemed like somebody would offer me a Marlboro. That was my brand, you know. And and it was free. And so I'd say, well, at least I'm not buying it, so I'll take it. It's free. And I just stayed addicted. Satan does not want people free from addiction. I'll tell you what helped me overcome marijuana and smoking was when I finally started talking to people about Jesus. I'd say, you know, Jesus is alive, and I don't want to smoke that anymore. Because I want to be healthy for Jesus. I want my mind clear for Jesus. I want Jesus to use me. And if you share Jesus with people, pretty soon even the devil chooses different tactics. Because that's not going to work in his realm. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see that in my members another law is waging war against the law of my mind. And making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? How am I going to get free? How am I going to overcome this tendency to keep sinning? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. If we're in the flesh, we're always going to be in sin. If we're in the spirit, we can overcome sin by the power of Christ. The grace of God. And he explains it in Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. 
two different laws. The law of sin and death is those who sin die spiritually and eventually die physically. The law of the spirit of life is resurrection life comes to those who call on the name of Jesus. God imparts grace. It's a higher law. And so even though we've been dead, we now can be spiritually alive. Even though we were cut off, now we can be seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Even though we were unqualified to pray for anybody else with power and effectiveness, now because of Christ, because of his grace, not because we're so smart, not because we're better than other people, not because we've never made mistakes in the past ourselves, but because of his grace, we can lay hands on others. We can speak the word of God to others and others can receive grace and life in Christ at the same time. So are there any other illustrations of the higher law? Let me say this. I was in, on my way to preach in Reno a few weeks ago and I'm coming down a mountain and the cars uh, from Donner Summit down towards Truckee and the cars are completely backed up and we're just creeping along down this hill for a long time. You could have literally walked down this hill faster and it went for a long way, like a few miles. And when we finally get towards the bottom, there was a big semi-truck and the semi-truck had flipped and the cab was completely crushed and it was, had been full of bags of ice for the 4th of July weekend and the ice was strewn all over the place. Now there were double lines on that road because it was a steep hill and there were traffic laws and you don't cross double lines you know that right unless a police officer is standing there near the wreck and saying just go like that go right around go right around go right over the double line don't worry about that at all the higher law is whatever the man with authority says you serve the man with authority. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the head over all rule and authority. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So when the man with the authority gives you direction through his spirit, you don't have to worry about the law of sin and death or all the associated laws with it. One of my friends, when I shared this story with him, he said, you know, I was a student down at Stanford University and uh, I got a call and there was a girl that, that had gone into some kind of cardiac arrest. She was dying. We threw her in my car and we were speeding towards the hospital and he got pulled over by a police officer on his way and he said, she's, she's dying and points to the girl in the back and the officer looks at her, gets in, back in his car and they start speeding through the city to the hospital. It didn't matter if it said 35, you know, they were going 60 with those guys' lights on because there's a higher law. And the higher law is that when somebody's life is on the line, you get to where you need to go to save their life as quick as you possibly can without killing yourself in the process. There's a, a, a law of gravity. If I'm to jump off of this stage right now, I'm gonna hit the floor, right? Uh, I, can, I can get loft of about six inches. I'm a white guy, maybe seven inches, you know. Others can jump higher than me, but we're all going to hit the ground because there's a law of gravity that's more powerful than any human being. But I flew home from the Oakland airport a couple of weeks ago, and I flew in a jet 
that had a higher law than the law of gravity. It's called jet propulsion. You put the right fuel in there, you ignite it with the right kind of temperature, and all of a sudden you're overcoming gravity for as long as that fuel lasts. It's a higher law. It says that there is no condemnation. Condemnation comes from people to people, all people because of sin. All people are affected by it. And the only people that overcome it are the ones that have received the grace of God in Christ, which is the higher law, the law of the spirit of life in Christ. For what the law was powerless to do, that's the commandments, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering, and so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We live according to the Spirit. It says the mind set on the flesh is death, the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. The way to overcome any kind of bad habit is not to just sit there and say, I don't want to do it, I don't want to do it, I don't want to do it. The way to overcome it is to say, Lord, what do you have for me? What do you want me to do? I need to get up from, from the, the temptations of the kitchen and go serve the Lord in some other room. You know what I mean? I need to get into the Word of God and not just into what's going to make me feel good right this minute. I need to be sharing my faith with somebody. I need to go to a meeting sometimes, even though I'm tired and don't really want to go to the meeting. I need to make myself do what the Spirit is urging me to do, even though there's a war oftentimes between the flesh and the Spirit. And we're not going to get past that war until we leave these bodies and meet the Lord face to face. Now, wrapping up, we're going to go into Romans 8 for just a couple of moments. And the worship team's going to come back up. It says, we know in Romans 8, 28, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Stuff happens to us, to all of us. Stuff that we don't want. Stuff that you'd say is bad. But there's something more powerful than the bad. And that's the faith. The faith that says... For those who love God and are called according to his purpose, all things can work together for the good. He has the power to turn any situation around. He to make it work for good because of his presence. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So you've heard there are spiritual arguments about predestination Here's what this scripture says about predestination. That if you're in Christ, you are predestined to become like Christ. It's like if you were an apple seed, you're predestined to become an apple tree if it's put in the right environment. So when God works all things together for good, it's the molding and the shaping that he's doing for us to make us more like Christ. Because... Christ, though he was a man and subject to temptations like we are, also was in fellowship with his Father and was anointed by the Spirit and listened to the Spirit. And through the Spirit, wonderful miracles took place. And those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. 
This is our story. We are predestined to become like Christ, and so he justifies us, and that's to be made like you had never sinned at all. There, there's an interesting discussion that takes place in the book of Acts in the 15th chapter. Here, they, they were having a debate, and the debate was, what are we going to make these new Christians do? Some of the new Christians were Jews, and some of the new Christians were Gentiles. They were wondering if the Gentiles needed to keep all the customs and laws of the Jews. And Peter stood up in the midst of this debate, and he said this, God has purified our hearts by faith. He does not purify our hearts because we kept nine of the Ten Commandments or eight of the Ten Commandments. He does not purify our hearts because we're better than somebody else, because we don't ever doubt, because we don't ever have temptation. That's not how our hearts are purified. Our hearts are purified by the blood of Christ. He gave up his life for us. He shed his blood, and his blood is the highest law. It's the most powerful force. It's the cleanser of our conscience. It's what enables us to stand in his presence, receive his spirit, worship him freely. And as we close the service and we pray together, we're going to ask that you would be washed and cleansed if you need washing and cleansing. Since you're washing, you'll wash in the dark, it looks like. But um, you're, you're going to need some washing. You're going to need some cleansing. We all do from time to time. It says in 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. All sin gets cleansed. There's forgiveness and there's cleansing. Forgiveness is what God gives you when you call on him in Jesus' name. Cleansing is what God gives you when you walk in the light, when you're not pretending, when you make an honest confession. So as we close the service, you can either take some time to share or to confess what you need cleansing for at your table and pray for one another. Have your table host pray for you. Or you can come right up here to the front and I'd be glad to pray for any of you who would like me to pray for you. But I'm going to ask you what you need prayer for and I'm going to ask you what you need cleansing for because we all need it. So don't be shy about it. There's something more important than our personal pride. And that's our freedom that we have in Christ when we walk in the light. It's the fellowship that's a life-giving fellowship. The exchange that the Holy Spirit lets us have when we're not pretending anymore. Father, I want to thank you for this congregation. I want to thank you for the way your people are growing and being transformed. They're being set free. And I ask today that we will grow and that we'll be honest about where we need cleansing, where we need washing, where we need forgiveness so that we can be cleansed and so we can receive the grace that transforms us. 
Because it's not by might nor by power, it's by your spirit that great things happen. We want your spirit to fill us in a fresh way today. So if you'd like me to pray for you, then I'd like you just to slip up here to the front. If you'd like your table host to pray with you and for you, then stay right where you are. But this is a holy moment. And in the Lord's presence, I want to encourage you to show courage. There's nothing more important than being close to Jesus. We want his kingdom to come and his will to be done through us on earth as it is in heaven.